Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the Dayson Digest podcast. I'm Travis Jones, a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dayson, and in today's episode, we review a new study evaluating treatment for one of the most common infectious disease states we see in our hospitals, and that is urinary tract infections, or more specifically, pyelonephritis. Before digging into the trial, I want to provide a little background information as to why I think that research in this area is so critical. It may or it may not surprise you to know that the latest Infectious Diseases Society of America guidelines on the treatment of urinary tract infections, specifically cystitis and pyelonephritis, were last published in 2011. That's nearly 11 years ago, and a lot's changed since then. And in those guidelines, sulfamethoxazole and trimethoprim or Bactrim and the fluoroquinolones are recommended as first-line agents for the treatment of pyelonephritis. These agents were considered first-line considering data demonstrating lower efficacy rates with oral beta-lactams. But most data, or most of the studies cited in the IDSA guidelines evaluated amino penicillins rather than cephalosporins. And there was a single study cited in the guidelines comparing ceftibutin versus norfloxacin for the treatment of pyelonephritis. But this study was from 2001 more than 20 years ago, and neither of these agents are commercially available in the US at this time. So whether oral cephalosporins are comparable to these first-line agents remains a mystery to this day. But what isn't a mystery is the rising resistance rates among some of our most common urinary pathogens, such as E. coli or Klebsiella pneumoniae, to the first-line agents, such as ciprofloxacin, levofloxacin, and Bactrim. I'm sure you all see it on your local antibiograms, and we see it here at Duke too. Resistance rates are all for greater than 20 to 25% in some places. And in addition, we all know that these agents have particularly troubling side effects. In fact, the list of black box and other warnings published by the FDA regarding the fluoroquinolones is longer than your average CVS receipt. And Bactrim can be challenging as well with uh, some side effects such as nephrotoxicity, hyperkalemia, and hypersensitivity reactions just to name a few. So wouldn't it be nice to have a randomized controlled trial comparing oral cephalosporins versus Bactrim or the fluoroquinolones? I think it would, but we all, know, we all know there isn't much incentive to complete such a study. So we have to rely on retrospective data and scenarios like these. So let's get into the trial. The name of the trial or the study is comparing outcomes among outpatients treated with pyelonephritis with oral cephalosporins versus first-line agents. This study was published in February of 2022 in the Journal of Antimicrobial Agents. This study was a retrospective single-center observational cohort conducted at Brooke Army Medical Center, or BAMC, which is the Department of Defense's largest military facility and level one trauma center in San Antonio, Texas. This hospital also has a very large emergency department with about 80,000 annual visits. So let's talk about the patients that they included. Well, to be included, you had to be first an adult, but also meet the following criteria. You had to have had an outpatient visit between December of 2018 and May of 2020 with an ICD-10 code for pyelonephritis. You also had to have documented symptoms associated with pyelonephritis and treatment with either an oral cephalosporin, fluoroquinolone, or Bactrim within three days of that encounter. The study excluded patients that were pregnant, had a resistant organism to the antibiotic prescribed, had a culture positive for Pseudomonas or Enterococcus, which of course no oral cephalosporin would cover, 
um, patients receiving multiple oral antibiotics within three days of the diagnosis, or patients with a concomitant infection. The primary outcome of this study was the difference in UTI recurrence rates between patients receiving oral cephalosporins and first-line agents, fluoroquinolone um, and Bactrim. They define this endpoint as the composite of a follow-up clinic or ED visit or hospital admission due to urinary tract infection within 30 days from the initial encounter. For secondary outcomes, the authors sought to assess independent risk factors for UTI recurrence. The study authors pulled data for qualifying patients with the ICD-10 code for pyelonephritis from a large military health system database. Encounter location, age, sex, antibiotic use data within 30 days, history of UTI within 30 days were all collected through this database. They also collected data on complicating factors, such as the presence of instrumentations and conditions associated with impaired uh, voiding. Also renal transplantation, and they looked at patients and documented whether or not they received a one-time intravenous or intramuscular dose of an antibiotic at the time of diagnosis. Lastly, urinalysis and urine culture and susceptibility data were captured. In total, 613 encounters were screened for inclusion and 134 were excluded. The main reason patients were excluded were lack of documented symptoms. So in total, 268 patients receiving oral cephalosporins and 211 patients receiving the first-line agents were included. Baseline characteristics were generally similar between groups, although more cephalosporin patients were seen in the ED as compared with outpatient clinics, 96.5% versus 77%. More were given a one-time dose of an IV or IM antibiotic, 59% versus 39%. And they received longer durations of therapy with a median of 10 days versus seven days in the first-line treatment group. The median age of patients in this study was 39 years, and about 90% in both groups were female. Most, patient, most patients in each group were seen for their initial visit in the ED, and very few, less than 3%, had urinary catheters or stents or neurogenic bladder, and less than 15% had a recent urinary tract infection. While not statistically significantly different, numerically, more patients receiving first-line agents had a history of recurrent UTI, 12% versus 7%. Regarding urinary pathogens, there were no differences between groups, and the most common organism was E. coli, which isn't really surprising. It was isolated in about 30% of patients. Of note, cultures were negative in about 20% of patients in both groups. So let's talk about the oral cephalosporins that were used in this study. The most common agent in dose was cefpodoxine, 200 milligrams twice daily, followed by cefalexin, 500 milligrams twice daily, although the dosing interval ranged uh, pretty widely for that agent. I found the cefalexin dose interesting because one might imagine using a more frequent dosing interval, but I think we all know that compliance declines substantially as the number of daily doses increase. So I think that's why the BID dosing was chosen. In addition to these two cephalosporins, a few patients received septonere at 300 milligrams twice daily. And regarding the first-line agents, 45% received levofloxacin, 41% received ciprofloxacin, and the remainder, or 14%, received Bactrim. So let's get to the results. The primary outcome of UTI recurrence within 30 days occurred in 16 and 17% of patients receiving cephalosporins and first-line agents, respectively and the p-value was 
And regarding secondary outcomes, they identified two independent risk factors for UTI recurrence. The first was chronic kidney disease with an odds ratio of 3.56, and infection with Klebsiella species was the second with an odds ratio of 2.64. Ultimately, this study demonstrated that there is no clinical difference between UTI recurrence rates at 30 days between oral cephalosporins and fluoroquinolones and Bactrim. So what do we make of this study and how does it really impact care for outpatients or patients seen in the emergency department with signs and symptoms consistent with pyelonephritis? Well, as one of only a handful of studies evaluating oral cephalosporins for this disease state, and the prior studies mostly evaluated oral cephalosporins that are either no longer available in the US or infrequently used, such as cefaclor, septibutin, um, and cefixine. This study evaluated oral cephalosporins we use every day in our patients. In addition, this study was larger than many of the prior studies. Of note, one recent retrospective study comparing oral cephalosporins to first-line agents included 55 cephalosporin patients and 43 first-line patients. This study had over 200 patients in each group, and it also included patients with complicating factors, although the number of patients with these complicating factors in each arm was too low to really make any meaningful conclusions about those specific scenarios. But while all of these factors highlight the potential impact of this study, it's definitely not without its limitations. As with all retrospective studies, results generally need to be reproduced in a randomized clinical trial. Although, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not gonna hold my breath waiting for one because there's really no financial incentive for a pharmaceutical company to fund such a study. In addition to its retrospective nature, the results might not be generalizable because it was conducted at a single center and the authors don't really share information about their local antibiogram. Perhaps their susceptibility rates for first-line agents are lower at their hospital than we see in our hospitals. It's difficult to know for certain without having their data. Also, it's difficult to know what to make of a few key differences between treatment groups. First, patients in the cephalosporin group were more likely to receive an IV or IM dose of an antibiotic at their initial encounter. This finding isn't really surprising per se, because the physicians are simply following the IDSA treatment guidelines. But what impact did receiving that initial dose have on the outcome? And could we apply these data in scenarios in which an IV or IM dose of an antibiotic is not available to administer? I think we can apply these results to a scenario when we can't give an IV or an antibiotic um, or an intramuscular antibiotic rather, um, because nearly half of the patients or 40% in the cephalosporin group did not receive a one-time dose. And lack of receiving an initial one-time IV or IM dose was not associated with recurrence. So to me, these data are general, generalizable in that regard. And lastly, we know patients receiving cephalosporins were treated for longer durations. Again, this makes sense based on the IDSA guideline recommendations, but you must consider the collateral damage associated with longer courses of antibiotics, regardless of the antibiotic. So I have a question, is a seven-day course of a fluoroquinolone less likely to cause C. difficile infection than a 10 or 14-day course of an oral third-generation cephalosporin? It's difficult to know or to draw a conclusion there, but I know that both agents have a pretty significant effect on the microbiome. So to wrap this up and in closing, I welcome this study to our mounting evidence supporting oral beta-lactams and more specifically, 
oral cephalosporins for the treatment of complicated urinary tract infections, including pyelonephritis. I think this is something we see commonly in clinical practice, and it's good to have data, even though retrospective, to support this practice. So now as we anxiously await the new IDSA guidelines on this topic, and I say that, I, don't, I haven't heard that they're being updated. I'm just saying it's been 11 years. They've got to be updated soon. I think that researchers should focus on another important question, and that is, what duration of treatment is optimal in patients with non-bacteremic pyelonephritis treated with an oral cephalosporin? Would the shorter is better logic apply in this scenario if we compared five or seven days of an oral cephalosporin versus 10 or 14 days? We may never know, but it's definitely an interesting thought. And finally, I wanna share that our Days on Digest podcast publishes a new episode every other Friday. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, and I hope you all take care.